0: Amen. We're going to go straight into the Word, folks. So let's open up our Bibles to Romans 16. All right, let's just start off by reading the text. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 16. Chapter 16. Thank you. The, last one. the last chapter of the book. Okay, here we go. Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Centria, that you receive her and the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Eponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who were outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus, and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And now, Lord, we ask for you to to give us insight and understanding on how this ancient writing, this last chapter, all of these greetings, how all of that can apply to us today. May your Holy Spirit be working and giving us understanding and helping us to have the heart to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So we finally come to the last chapter of the book of Romans. And I thought of maybe taking the whole chapter in one fell swoop, but decided not to. I think it's going to take three messages, this one and two more, before we're finally done. But this book, the Book of Romans, has become like an old friend to me. And I think I'm going to be sad to, to leave it. I almost want to go back to chapter one and start all over, you know, <laughs> but I don't think that's what we should do. <laughs> but when you come to chapter 16, a lot of people read this and they say, well, Let's just go on to a new book. I mean, what is there for us to learn out of this chapter? There's just a bunch of greetings Paul's greeting a bunch of people that we know nothing about Um, Why should we even take the time to study this particular book? There's nothing important here, but I beg to differ I think there is I think there's some really important things tucked away that if we just take the time to look under the rock We're gonna see a lot of life scurrying around underneath that rock so My plan this morning is to make some general observations. I've got four of them. Yes, four general observations just from these 16 verses, and then we're gonna look at some specifics. First, we're gonna look at Phoebe, and then we're gonna look at Prisca and Aquila, and look at the good examples that they bring out of the Christian life that we can pattern our lives after. But first, some general observations. Number one, I want you to notice Paul's heart of love for other Christians. The first thing I notice is that he names 27 people by, by name, individuals, even though Paul had never been to Rome before. He'd never been to this church. He didn't plant this church. So how does he know 27 people by name in a city and a church that he's never been to? That's the first question that comes to my mind. How is that even possible? Well, we know it's possible, at least in part, that some people he did know ended up moving to Rome, like Prisca and Aquila. Mm -hmm. Paul knew them in Corinth, he knew them in Ephesus, and later they moved to Rome, and so that's why he can mention them by name. But that doesn't account for the 25 other people. So how could Paul know these people? Well, we have to put ourselves back in the mindset of the first century. Back then, Rome was like the center of the world. Rome was the hub. Everything, all spokes went out from Rome everywhere. And so people were constantly moving into Rome or moving out of Rome because it was the center of the world. And so as Paul traveled around his area of the world, he would meet people all over the place who eventually would move to Rome. And he would find out from others that, oh, so-and-so moved back to Rome. And so he would have that insight. So when he wrote this letter, he knew that all of these people were there in Rome, people that he had even met. Or that others that he knew told him about that that actually lived there um, so it really wouldn't be that difficult for him to know 27 people who are living in Rome but what I want you to see from this is that Paul was not some theologian sitting off in an ivory tower dealing with abstract doctrine and theology Paul was a people person how else would he know 27 people and how else would he know certain things about them to write in his greetings? He, he, he knew something of their life and their character, the, their nature. So, Paul loved people. And you, wherever you find Paul, you find him surrounded by people. In fact, Paul always chose to work in teams as he went from city to city to evangelize and to plant churches. He wasn't, you know, off by himself ministering. I think that happens once in Athens. That was an an abnormal situation. The normal pattern for him was to take people with him and that he, as a team, they would raise up churches. For example, he had Barnabas with him, John Mark, Silas, Aristarchus, Epaphras, Gaius, Jason, Luke, Onesimus, Sosthenes, Trophimus, Tychicus, Demas, Archippus, and I've probably left out a bunch of others. Those are only the ones I can think of. There's, he, his, his writings are filled with, when he sends greetings at the end of his epistles, they're filled with the names of other people that he's working alongside of, or people that he knows that he's writing to. So Paul was investing his life in people. He chose to disciple others as he did the ministry. He was raising up a Timothy that would take over for him once he had handed the baton on and he died and passed on. And so what this teaches me is that we shouldn't try to live the Christian life by ourselves. God intends for Christians to live in community. The person who is in fellowship with Jesus needs to be in fellowship with others who are in fellowship with Jesus. Okay? It's not enough for you to go off on some desert island and say, Oh, I just love the Lord. I've got my Bible. I've got Jesus. God never intended people to live in isolation like that. He wants us to live in community because we enrich our lives and we enrich their lives through this community that we have. We need relationship with other believers. We need to know their names, their character, their habits, their example, we need to learn from them. I think of our sister Myong, and just kind of this quiet, unsung hero that lived among us for four years and quietly passing on a godly example to us. We we were enriched by her presence being in our church. And now that she's gone, we, we still learn from her. And it's the same way with all of God's people. The Spirit of God dwells within each one of us. And some what what the Spirit is doing in you and you and you, we need to all be enriched by. So there ought to be no Lone Ranger Christians in the body of Christ. That's not the will of God. A commitment to a local church is vital and essential for every Christian. That's my conviction. And I think I can I can back that up with Scripture. All of us need to have a commitment to a local church where people know us and we know them. And we're under the accountability and the oversight of spiritual leaders in that congregation who can help us and disciple us. That's just the will of God. Now, notice that all the way through these 16 verses, Paul's sending greetings, right? Greet this person, greet that person, greet this person. What is meant when Paul says, greet them? What does he mean? Well, in these greetings you've got three people. You've got the person sending the greeting, the person conveying the greeting, and the person being greeted right mm-hmm. so Paul's the one sending the greeting we know who the person is who's receiving the greeting cuz he lists their name but who is the one that is conveying that greeting to the person being greeted no thoughts here Okay. <laughs> oh the person bringing the letter okay I'm gonna suggest I'm gonna suggest that the whole church was supposed to be the ones conveying the greetings. Because Paul was writing in chapter 1 verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome called as saints. So he's writing this letter to all the Christians in Rome. And he's saying. Greet. Well he, who's he's talking to? He's talking to all the people in Rome called as saints. He's talking to the whole church that is hearing this letter being read. They are supposed to greet this person. And greet that person. And greet the other person. Okay. Well now that we've got that out of our our system <laughs> um, we need to ask ourselves what is what is meant by a greeting I mean greetings are just words the word literally means welcome them or pay my respects to them that's what a greeting is but what is conveyed in a greeting I would submit to you I, I think what's conveyed in a greeting is love Paul is trying to convey love to these specific individuals by telling the church to greet them Let me let me show you why I think that. Look at chapter 16 verse 5. Greet Epinetus, who who is he? My beloved. my beloved. Verse 8, greet Ampliatus, my beloved. Verse 9, greet Arbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and Stachus, my beloved. Verse 12, greet tryphena and Trifosa, workers in the Lord, greet Persa, the beloved. All the way through here, you get these terms of endearment (laughs) that Paul has for these specific people. They are his beloved, his beloved. Now, normally we reserve words like that for a couple, a married couple. But here you've got Paul, a man, and he's using this term to express his love for other people, including men. So these words of affection. And so I believe the, the, the greetings that he's wanting them to convey are just carriers for his love that he wants to express to these people. He really loved these people. And I know that because when you get to the book of Philippians, which I have been doing my best to try to memorize now, I'm in chapter 1 and around verse 9, but verses 7 and 8 help us to see his heart for the people. In verse 7 of Philippians 1, he says, It's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. And then in verse 8 he says, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now this isn't some guy who's totally detached from them. This is a guy who cares about them. And he says, I've got this affection in my heart for these people. It's not like I could take them or leave them. That's not Paul's attitude. He is committed to these believers. And his heart goes out to these believers. That's why he's praying for them all the time. You know, at the beginning of every letter... I I pray for you always, he says. Well, you only do that for someone who's on your heart, and they're on your heart because you love them. And notice in Romans 16, verse 16, he says, I want you to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, you might think, well, that's not important. I, I think it is. This very same command, and that's what it is. This is an imperative in the Greek. This command comes up four times. In the New Testament not once four times we are commanded to greet one another with a holy kiss now I believe it it is probably culturally conditioned to some extent like in that culture probably kissing was the way that you greeted someone that you loved and had affection for and maybe in our culture it's not so much that way we can probably say that but what I want to try to express to you is that we should have affection in our hearts for one another so that it expresses itself to each other in the culturally conditioned ways of our culture, which might be, well, a handshake isn't very, (laughs) it doesn't express too much of affection, but a little bit, but maybe it would express itself in in a big bear hug or um, high five or a back slap. Or sometimes even a kiss I mean I know family members greet each other with kisses mothers and daughters and that kind of thing and sometimes it happens within the church I don't think any of the men do that but sometimes the women even will greet each other with a kiss all I'm saying is that we ought to love each other and so expressions of affection should come naturally to the people of God that really care about each other so let The affection for one another rise up within you. And don't think that's crazy or weird. It's not. We are to greet one another with a holy kiss, the Bible says. So can you relate to Paul's heart? I think I can in some way, because when I think of each person at the bridge, there is a a thing of affection that rises up, and and I'm thankful for each one. I can think of things in their life that I'm just really thankful for and I know that my life would not be as rich without that person in my life what they speak when we come as a church the things they share their example all minister to me they all build me up they help me to make me the man that God's working in me so can you relate to that do you have a genuine love and affection for other Christians Do you think of them? Does it make your heart smile? Do it gives you a sense of joy? It ought to. It ought to. So that's the first thing I want you to see here. Paul's heart of love for other believers, and that's a good example for us. It's a good example. Second general observation I want you to make here is that there were many smaller, distinct churches within this bigger church of Rome. Like there was the Church of Rome, all the Christians in the city, but they didn't all meet together. They met in lots of different smaller pockets of Christians. Uh, We could call those house churches. We know that from verse 5. Because Paul is talking about Prisca and Aquila and he says greet the church that is in their house. What? In the New Testament people met in people's homes. There's four different times in the New Testament where we're told where the church met and every single time it was in a house. The, the tradition that we have today of having a special building was unknown in the early church. It didn't come in for at least 200 years after the, um, the apostles of Christ. So it was something that gradually developed over time, but it, we, we, we think, well, how in the world did they get the job done without church buildings? How in the world did they evangelize the world? How did, they do, how did they turn the world upside down if they didn't have all the things that we have today, like sound systems and rock bands and big church buildings and lots of people gathering? Well, evidently all that's not really needed to get the job done because they did a pretty good job of it. And well, maybe I should show you where I'm seeing this first. So we saw in verse 5 that Prisca and Aquila opened up their home they had a church in their house notice also verse 14. he says greet Asyncritus, syncritus phlegian hermas petrobus hermas and the brethren with them so there was a pocket of believers that were meeting together he mentioned some of their names but not all of them i believe this is a reference to a church a church gathering 15 also greet Philologus and julia nereus and his sister and olympus and all the saints who are with them. There's another pocket of believers. You've got some believers that are gathering together over here, some that are gathering over here. You've got a a church in the home of Prisca and Aquila over here, and if you added them all up, that would be the sum total of all the Christians in Rome. So isn't it interesting, you've got the church in the city of Rome, but they don't all gather together. They're gathering in various locations, various small locations where they can know each other, where they can pray and intercede for each other, where they can have an intimacy of relationship with each other. And the reason I bring that up is because I've got a desire in my heart to see the Lord multiply our church, raise up other leaders, and have a network of churches, small, intimate gatherings of believers, not just one location, but in in many locations. Now, I don't know if that's the will of God or not, but I see it here in the book of Romans, and I, I, my heart says I would love to see the Lord do that again. Each of these churches evangelizing, proclaiming Christ, people being saved, people being discipled, the church is growing, and when they get too big for a home, another home being selected, and another church being raised up, it seems to me that's, what, that's how the early church grew. And it was a healthy church. And so why can't that happen in our lifetime? I know it is in some other parts of the world because I've I've heard and read about accounts of the Lord doing this very same thing. It's happening in Vietnam. We know that from our brothers and sisters who who talk about it all the time. So I want to pray for that. I want to lift that before the Lord and ask him to do it again. That's the second observation. The third one. Did you notice as we are working through the text how many people are described as workers? I Was really surprised by this notice verse 3 Greet Prisca and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ Jesus Verse 6 greet Mary who has worked hard for you Verse 9 greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ verse 12 Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. So on and on, Paul is mentioning the fact that these people are workers. They're worker bees. They're like worker ants in an ant colony. They're working for the kingdom. They're not dormant. They're not sitting around waiting for, you know, I don't know what they're doing, but they're involved. They're busy. They're active. They're working for the kingdom. And there's an emphasis here on that. What a great way for you and me to be described today. If someone was saying, hey, send a greeting to Anthony, a worker in the Lord. Wouldn't it be a, a great thing? That's a commendation. That you're not sitting around doing nothing, that you're, you've got your talent and you're using it to give five more talents when the Lord comes back. You're wanting to invest in his kingdom. It reminds me of what Paul says over in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. how he ends that chapter. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So folks, how can we be involved in work, working in the Lord? Like, what kinds of things would that entail? Just think on that a minute. What it, what's he mean here? How would we work for the kingdom? You guys have any thoughts? Evangelizing. That would certainly be one of them, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, Jesus gave us the great commission and said, make disciples. So certainly that's included. My mind goes back to Matthew 25, where Jesus says that we are to visit those in prisons, that we are to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, minister to the poor, the sick. So there you've got work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. People are hurting around us. They need ministry from God's people. So to be a worker in the Lord means that we have to have eyes to see the hurt and the needs around us and be willing for the Lord to use us to get involved. And that's why I think it's an awesome opportunity for us to, to go back to the same apartment complex time and time again and just have a presence there and look for the needs and ask the Lord to use us to meet needs, whatever they are. There's needs in our own congregation, right? People in our own congregation, their daughter is having a surgery tomorrow. They have certain needs. So the church is to be busy working to, to help to minister to the, to the needs of hurting people around us. And then the last observation here, Paul's emphasis on our union to Christ. Notice how he puts things. Look at verse 2. He says that you receive her in the Lord. Or verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers, in Christ Jesus. Or verse 7, who also were in Christ before me. Verse 8, greet Ampliatus, my beloved, in the Lord. Verse 9, greet Urbanus and our fellow worker in Christ. Or verse 11, greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa workers in the Lord great Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. you see all these expressions? In the Lord, in Christ, in the beloved, all the way through here. Now, Paul isn't teaching doctrine, is he? He's just sending greetings. <laughs> That's all he's doing. But his greetings are saturated and laced with Christ, emphasizing our union to Christ. It's as though this is just part of the way Paul thinks all the time. He's constantly thinking about our union to Jesus Christ. It's his focus, and I wonder if that's our focus. I think the more spiritually mature we become, the more of Christ is gonna fill our heart and spill out of our lips, and when we write, it's gonna come from our pen or our computer Our keyboard, it's just gonna become central in what we do and what we write and what we say, just like it flows out of Paul. This idea of our union to Christ, it just fills his thoughts. Everywhere he writes, in the Lord and in Christ, just come out of him. And so what I want you to be thinking about this week is, do you think about your union to Christ? Is that top of your head kind of thing? When you start your day, are you thinking, I am in the Lord and the Lord is in me. We're one. We're vitally connected to each other. I'm joined to the living Lord Jesus Christ. He is my life. Those kinds of things. That's, that's the way Paul approached the Christian life. He's the vine, I'm just a branch. But I am a branch connected to the vine. Okay, so there's some general observations. Now let's look at some unsung heroes. And I'm only going to look at two of them because we don't know very much about the rest. But we do know something about Phoebe and we do know something about Prisca and Aquila. So let's look at their lives for just a few minutes. First of all, Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Now notice Paul commends Phoebe to the church in Rome. He doesn't do that to anybody else. He doesn't send commendations to anybody but Phoebe. Now in the early church, in the first century, oftentimes if a person was visiting another new location, they would be given a letter of commendation to take with them. And they would give this letter to the people that they're going to to read, and it would ensure that this person has a friendly reception once they got there. And that people would reach out to them and welcome them and help them. And that's what Paul is doing with Phoebe at this point. Phoebe is the only person in this whole section who's not already living in Rome. How do we know that? Because he says, I want you to receive her. She's not there yet. She's coming. So Paul asks the church to receive her and help her in whatever way they can. She's the only one commended. Now, why does Paul commend her and why is she coming to Rome? Those are the questions I want you to think of. Why does Paul commend her to them and why is she coming to Rome? Does anybody know? I can't tell you 100% dogmatically on this, but I believe the reason why Paul is commending her to them and why she's coming to Rome is because she's taking the book of Romans. Paul has entrusted her with this letter and she's bringing it, delivering it to the church in Rome. And let me give you three reasons why I think that's the case here. There's no indication that Phoebe is coming after the letter arrives but that she's coming when the letter arrives. That's, if you just read it through, that's the natural meaning that would come out to us. Secondly, she's from Centuria. Where is Paul at when he's writing the book of Romans? Anybody know? Corinth. Corinth is nine miles from Centuria. They're neighboring villages next to each other. Centria is the port city of Corinth. If Paul was in Corinth for three months, which he was when he wrote Romans, certainly he's been visiting neighboring churches around Corinth, one of which would be Centria. He's made Phoebe's acquaintance because she's a servant there and no doubt he could have easily asked her to take the letter that he's writing with her because she's on a trip anyway. She's going to Rome and so she's gonna drop that letter off to the church. And then thirdly, Phoebe appears to be a woman of means, wealthy, and I say that because it says that she has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. She had the means to help other people. So perhaps she was a lot like Lydia, who was a businesswoman who traveled around selling purple fabrics. Perhaps Phoebe also had some kind of a business where she traveled. Uh, we don't read of any husband, so perhaps... She was a single woman, like it appears Lydia was. She traveled with other women. Perhaps Phoebe did the same thing as well, people that worked with her. And so she was in the habit of traveling. She was in the habit of going and doing commerce in various locations. Rome would be a chief place for you to want to sell and buy because it was the center of the world. And so because she has means, because she's able to help many, uh, because she's from Centuria, And because there's no indication that she comes later than when the letter arrives, for all those reasons, it seems to me very likely that she's actually carrying the letter. Which tells me something very interesting about Phoebe. She was worthy of trust. The letter of the book, the letter of Romans would be the most precious thing that Paul had. And he's entrusting that precious letter filled with beautiful doctrine and theology that has blessed the church for 2,000 years, he's entrusting that letter to this woman and he believes that she's going to be responsible and deliver that letter faithfully to the church, which she did. She was faithful to her trust. The second thing we know about Phoebe is that she was a servant. Chapter 16, verse 1, she is a servant of the church which is at Centria. Now, the word for servant is the the word for servant is the same word from which we get our word deacon or deaconess. And so, some I think there's probably some translations that actually translate this who is a deaconess or a deacon of the church at Centria. Either the Bible is simply saying that she had a servant's heart and she was constantly serving people in various ways in the church at Centria, or it's saying she had the official title of a deacon. I do believe that women can hold the office of deacon. 1 Timothy 3 8 to 15 talks about... Uh, some, some people say that that's talking about just the wives of deacons. I think it's better understood to be actually deaconesses in 1 Timothy 3. So she could have been a deaconess, or she could have just been someone known for constantly serving in the church. Doesn't really matter. What does matter is that she had a servant's heart and she was busy serving other people. She was a servant of the church at Centria. And what does Paul exhort the church to do? Receive her. Yeah, receive her. Welcome her into your midst. And do it in a manner worthy of the saints. In other words, be generous. She's going to be a stranger from out of town, she's going to need a place to stay. She's gonna need food. She's gonna need lodging. She's gonna need some friends. She's gonna need some people to show her around town and be hospitable to her. So welcome her in a manner worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she needs. You see how Paul how is really saying, take care of this lady. She's bringing this letter. This letter is gonna be precious beyond measure to you. Take care of her. I believe Phoebe was one of the unsung heroes of this chapter. We don't know anything else about her other than these two verses in the Bible. And all these other people, these 27 people that we read about, we know almost nothing about them. They're just ordinary Christians, just like you and I. Now let's move on to our second example here, Prisca and Aquila. We also know them by Priscilla and Aquila. Prisca is just a shortened nickname for Priscilla. We know more about them than we do about anybody else that's listed here. And let me just give you a quick summary of what we do know about them. When Paul came to Corinth in Acts chapter 18, he met Aquila. And we learned that Aquila was a Jew and he was also a tent maker. And that's what Paul was. And so because he was a tent maker and he made Paul's acquaintance, he opens up his home and lets Paul stay with him. Perhaps they had an extra room and Paul could stay there. And it was probably at this period of time that Paul led Priscilla and Aquila to Christ, when he was staying in their home and just conversing day after day. Later, well, let me back up. The reason that Priscilla and Aquila were in Corinth is because the Emperor of Rome, Claudius, in AD 52 banished all the Jews from Rome. So, because they were Jews, they had to leave. And so they left Rome, they settled in Corinth. Later, they left Corinth and they traveled to Ephesus and um, when Paul went to Ephesus, he took Priscilla and Aquila with him there. And then later we find Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila back in Rome, their hometown. So they start out in Rome, they go to Corinth, they go to Ephesus, and then they go back to Rome. What you want to notice about them is two things. Number one, they were known for their hospitality because they're the ones that welcomed Paul into their home when they first met. They took Paul in. Later, when they got to Ephesus, they had a church in their house there, because uh, 1 Corinthians 16.19 says, The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that's in their house. So when they were in Ephesus, they opened up their home and had a church meet there. When they went to Rome, they opened up their house and had a church meet there. When he was in Corinth, they opened up their home and had Paul come in to live with them. These people are just really really hospitable people. Welcoming others into their home constantly. And what a beautiful example that is. In fact, an overseer or an elder has to have the quality of being hospitable. That's one of the qualifications. And here, Prisca and Aquila really manifested that quality. The other thing we notice about them is that they were risk-takers. Look at verse 4. "...who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles." Now, I wish that we knew the story behind that, but we don't. This is all we know about this incident where they risked their own necks. In other words, they. They risked their lives to save Paul's life. And Paul says, I give thanks to them for that, but not just me. All the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for that. Now, why would all the churches of the Gentiles be thanking Prisca and Aquila for risking their life for Paul? Paul. Yeah, they loved Paul and they needed him. He was the apostle to the Gentiles and they needed his ministry. So they're thanking God for Prisca and Aquila. But what I want you to see is that they risked their life not it wasn't just Aquila, the man, the husband, the macho guy who risked his life. Aquila, the woman, the, the, the wife, the female here. She also risked her life with her husband for Paul. You see, they did this ministry as a couple. It wasn't just Aquila out there doing the ministry of risking his life to save Paul. It was both of them together. Priscilla's in this just as much as Aquila is. And this gives us an example of a married couple serving the Lord together. Not just the man off there doing his thing, but finding something where you are actually engaged in ministry with your wife. I think that's a beautiful thing. Maybe it's leading a Bible study in your your home or in your neighborhood. Uh, Maybe it's going out to the poor that are close by and ministering to them as a couple and including your kids if you're able to, if it's safe to do so, you know, but they're risk takers. And Paul commends him for that. So Phoebe appears to be, from all we can tell, a single woman. Priscilla appears to be, or she is, a married woman. So here we have these two people side by side, and the example of their service for the gospel, a single woman serving the Lord, a married woman serving the Lord with her husband. So whatever station you're in, you have an example here of faithful service. Now, we've got 27 names, we know almost nothing about these people. What we do know about them is that they were workers, they were servants, they were helpers, they opened up their homes, they risked their lives. The people mentioned here are a lot like you and me, ordinary Christians that the world knows nothing about. We're not famous, are we? Well, Maybe Anthony and Veronica are because you got that YouTube channel. 2,000 people following you. But, <laughs> I mean, we're just ordinary. There, there's, no, uh, there's no Billy Grahams in our church. There's no John Pipers or John MacArthur's. We're just ordinary, regular guys, regular folks. Um, but that's the way it's supposed to be. We're just a lot like these 27 people that Paul greeted, who worked hard, who served the Lord, the backbone of any local church, is just ordinary people like us. They were unsung heroes, and you and I can be unsung heroes for the gospel. Maybe nobody on earth knows who we are, but in heaven, God knows your name, the angels know who you are. Heaven knows who the unsung heroes of earth are, whether nobody knows us down here or not. And one day God is going to reward, just like we mentioned earlier in Matthew 6, if we do what we do for him and not for the applause of men, we're going to be rewarded one day in glory. Though unknown on earth, we are known in heaven. So I want to leave you with five applications. Just to consider as we wind our, this chapter down. Five applications. Number one, commit yourself to a local church. We see these brothers committed to another cluster of other brothers and sisters we see that in verse 14 verse 15 and verse 5. these local small home churches where they were committed to each other and i just want to encourage every person here to be committed if this is your church be committed here which means come every sunday at least as a starting point. Be committed in your finances to giving to the work of the Lord here. Get involved in the middle of the week, if possible, if you can work it out with your schedule and your work schedule. Find a way to be meeting with other brothers during the week, like Tuesday night, Zoom missional community night, or discipling relationship with another person. But but commit yourself to ongoing relationships with other brothers and sisters in the church. Second application, demonstrate your love and affection for other believers. Even if you're not usually an affectionate type of person, find a way to let other people know you love them. Third, pray that the Lord might give us favor to plant other churches into a network of churches here in the Sacramento area. Let's pray to that end. Pray for a revival. That's awesome. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to plant healthy churches. Four. Focus on your union to Christ every day. Remember that. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. That's The sum and substance, really, of the whole Christian life is your union to Jesus. And let that drive your thoughts. Let that be in the back of your mind as you do whatever actions you do. Let any ministry, any good works, flow from that source of your union to Christ. If you try to do them any other way, you're going to fall flat on your face anyway. You need Jesus and His power flowing through you to be able to accomplish any good thing. And then five... Be content in serving the Lord with all your heart without any fanfare. Don't worry about if anybody knows who you are or anybody sees your good works. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus Christ sees. And he's going to reward openly one day. Can you imagine judgment day and and he bringing you out from the crowd to stand before him. And he starts rattling off all the things that you did glorify him and all the universe is listening to Jesus commend you well done my good and faithful servant let me show all the rest of you what this servant of mine did and the works that he did in my name and he has a big screen TV and (laughs) we're all watching the life of this saint who nobody ever knew but we're, we're just glorifying God as we watch how the Lord transformed their life into a life devoted and sold out for Christ. So let's be content just to serve the Lord faithfully, to be a helper, to be a worker, to be involved in the kingdom. You know, let's not be content to just stand on the sidelines and watch life go on around us. Let's get into the game. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this chapter and and the lessons that are tucked away inside of it. We praise you for it and we pray that we would be workers. Lord, that we would do all of our works with an eye to your glory for an audience of one. We pray that we would follow in the good, the footsteps, the the good example we see in Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila. Lord, a trustworthy woman. Folks that just were so hospitable, inviting others into their home even risking their own necks to save Paul's life. Just great examples, Lord. So be at work in us, Lord, to make us the kind of men and women you want us to be. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.